0: Hi everyone, Rejuvenation with Eve Harrow on the Land of Israel Network. Today is Tuesday, December 19th, 2023, the seventh day of Tevet, 5784. Although, as my friend Adele Raymer, who used to live in Nibreen, is currently was evacuated after October 7th to a lot. She posts whatever day it is in October. You know, it's like the 89th day of October because for her, October is just never over. So um we're deep still into the war against Hamas, um, praying every day, getting, hearing about losses every day. And um, it's it's not easy to be here in Israel, but we are trying to function and do what we can uh, on the home front. And so today I'm uh, interviewing one of my favorite people who just coincidentally happens to have the same last name as I do, Ari Harrow, who um, just published a book which when he wrote it, he thought he was writing kind of from a historical perspective. And it turns out that you could pretty much like pop this book into the front pages. So um, Ari, first of all, thank you so much for joining me today. I know your eyes and ears and heart are always with the war with the people, you know, and and everyone uh, on the front. So thank you for taking a few minutes um, to talk to me today and to my listeners. So um, first of all, tell my brother's keeper, which is almost coming out in hard copy in a couple of weeks. I got to read it on PDF. Um, Where, why are you so well-placed, well-versed and so unique to tell this particular story?
1: Well, um, I I, I won't go back into my entire uh, history at at this moment, but uh, at that time, the time uh, that the book covers, I was the chief of staff to Prime Minister Netanyahu and the book takes place in the year of uh 2014 uh, a year that um uh, saw a bunch of uh i guess international events geopolitical events and military events come to a head and being uh, not only right next to the prime minister but sitting in the war cabinet um in conversations with the president of the united states both in the oval office and, and and phone calls um and so on and so forth um gave me a very unique vantage point um both uh uh you know when it comes to the u.s israel relationship right and how the decisions uh are made and um and how realities influence where we head as a country.
0: Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I was just thinking because um, to a f- few weeks ago, um, Gadi Eisenkot, who is what is his official position? I don't think he's a minister without. He's a minister, minister, minister correct, right? correct? But he's sitting in the war cabinet. His own son was killed in Gaza, and the next day, his nephew was killed in Gaza. This yeah. is a very personal war. I mean, when you talk about this, this isn't some war cabinet of some old guys just sitting around with no connection to what's happening. They have all their skin in the game, many of them. Do you find that that it, I don't know if that's unique to Israel or do you find that that definitely impacts the, you mentioned, how decisions are made? Well, well uh, firstly,
1: I, I assume that it is somewhat unique to Israel, and I do touch on similar stories in two thousand and fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was actually at a at a work event uh, a few days ago, and somebody brought up that exact case that that, that you mentioned, and I recalled uh, numerous uh, incidents in the twenty fourteen Gaza operation where. Um, we took it very personally, uh, where tears were shed and uh, emotions are thin uh, in the prime minister's office. It's it's a difficult um, balance to strike as a leader, especially in the Jewish state, where on the one hand, to make the right decisions for the country on a on a much you know larger macro level, you have to try and separate yourself from the emotion. But at the same time, we're all connected here. And everybody knows people. And one of the stories I talk about uh, in the book is when the head of the Shinbet, uh, the Shabak, Yoram Cohen comes to update the prime minister uh, on the fact that they found the bodies of the three missing teenage boys, which is what and- kicks
0: off this whole this Which what kicks off the events, whole, you know, right. the whole series of events, the, the and China ultimately things. the war in
1: Gaza in 2014,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um and you know I don't want to I want to give everything away, but but right. it just the, the emotions that I saw Netanyahu, uh, express, um, was was very heartwarming for me to see that even at the level of prime minister uh, and a prime minister that many don't um don't expect to show those types of emotions
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, feels the pain of every single jewish uh israeli um that is that is lost
0: mhm I-, I can't imagine how difficult it must be the prime minister of israel with all the criticisms and some justified some not of him and of the other prime ministers uh it has to be one of the most difficult jobs on the planet because as uh, you I, I said but- yeah you know,
1: I, I believe it is I believe it is the hardest job in the world um and yes there are, there are prime ministers that have done better and prime ministers that have done worse and prime ministers that have done better and worse within you know within their terms but mm-hmm. ultimately um to constantly be facing existential threats on all your borders um and for those who didn't think that Gaza was, really uh, uh, an existential threat um, have been proven otherwise. Obviously I'm not talking about, you know, Iranian nuclear weapons coming from Gaza, but the ability to draw us into a a, a significant military uh, excursion and uh, to put the entire country on hold and to send a message to the region, Gaza and Hamas has done that. Um, So facing those types of challenges, day in and day out um in addition to uh, everything else that this country uh, brings along with it the you know the the, re- the religious divide the left right divide mm-hmm. the uh you know sfardi ashkenazi uh, right. city versus periphery there's a lot of challenges as an israeli prime minister
0: right and and the unending criticism from the world and especially I mean, we're seeing it now, perhaps more than in 2014, where it seems like it's pretty clear about the evil and the good here. There should be no gray area whatsoever. And then you have people that like head, uh, international organizations or major universities who can't seem to choke out, uh, what's good and what's bad. And that's, you know, that's incredibly depressing as a Jew, of course, and, and as an Israeli. Um, so you, you talk about, the relationship between the United States and Israel. And a lot of what's going on today is a question. Are the Americans going to try and force us or somehow manipulate us into stopping this war before Hamas is really destroyed? But in 2014, um, the situation was possibly even worse.
1: It was definitely worse. Um, I mean, I I get that question all the time now. And I I feel very strongly that the the current U.S. administration uh, ultimately, has been fantastic uh, in their support of Israel um, as we deal with, uh, with with this terrible situation. In 2014, the Obama administration, uh, led by its Secretary of State John Kerry, um, had very different ideas and very different plans. First and foremost, they did not have, you know, to use the terminology that was used then; they didn't have our back. Um, There were, you know, multiple uh, situations where international bodies brought Israel to debate and the automatic veto that we have come to expect from friendly U.S. administrations was not necessarily there. It was um, we were left hanging. We were left in situations where we truly did not know. What the outcome was going to be, and that's not the sign of of, of real deep friendship. Um, in addition, there was uh, we we entered the Gaza uh, battles of 2014 um, after five years of Netanyahu and Obama um, skirmishing, and uh, shortly after the collapse of the talks, the uh, I, I guess the almost talks with the Palestinians. There was a, there was a uh, extended effort by John Kerry in the U.S. to implement what they called a framework agreement to bring the sides to the table. That collapsed just weeks before the kidnapping uh, of those of the three teenage boys. Um, and in parallel, uh, the U.S. was moving forward with the uh, JCPOA, with the uh, Iranians. So we entered the war in Gaza, where tension between the U.S. administration and Israel was at a high um and unfortunately they were they were not able to completely separate themselves from those feelings and emotions as israel dealt with hamas and the hamas threat out of gaza I do feel that this time around uh, the situation is vastly improved. Um, we The statements that we've seen out of the White House, out of uh, Kirby, out of uh, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, out of the president himself, the fact that President Biden got on a plane and came to Israel right. in a show of support is unparalleled and uh, I think it's something that we have to be grateful for. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned Kirby, he in particular has been outstanding, just like clarity on the whole situation as the people who are not necessarily in the administration, like a lot of military folk who are very much on Israel's side, and you know, they're not politically oriented but they get it.
1: Right, I think as you said uh, before Eve, that the, 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 just the magnitude of the massacre on October 7th and the visuals are so strong that you don't have to be a genius to know what is good and what is evil. And the fact that the U.S. has clearly positioned themselves on the side of good is to be applauded, but uh, it should be uh, a no-brainer as far as the world is concerned, and unfortunately, uh, the U.S. is uh, one of very few countries that have really stood by Israel's side uh, the way that we could have expected.
0: So to go uh, a tad off topic, because it didn't have to do with your 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 tenure, which you went in and out a few times at the prime minister's office because he missed you and needed <laughs> you. But um, as part of your personal world, you also did some extensive work in South America. So. Right. How do you see? Because I think a lot of times many people miss the diplomatic efforts that are being made around the world. We tend to focus on the countries that, you know, just don't back us when we think they should. But there's a lot of things. The world isn't just the United States and Europe. There's a big world out there. And Israel sometimes gets support from places that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And because of personal contacts. As yourself, so you want to just can you get into that just for? Sure, I of, think course. <clears throat> of course, fascinating.
1: Of course, between my uh, terms with the prime minister, I spent a number of years advising leaders around the world. Uh, spent uh, extended time in South America, uh, mostly in Paraguay, um, and worked in other countries in Europe and Africa as well. And um, and there's no question uh, that Israel, first and foremost, is extremely active in assisting. Uh, countries around the world, uh, third world countries, and others, um, be it in the uh, areas of agriculture, medicine, uh, security, cyber, etc. Water,
0: water, water. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Potable water. And um, Israel does this both because we're uh, a moral and just country, and we are truly look to be a light unto the nations and help out uh peoples and and countries that are in need uh and at the same time it is a tremendous uh avenue for uh, i guess you can call it quiet diplomacy where Mm -hmm. relationships are really built i mean one of the things that i learned in government itself is that personal relationships and personal contract contacts are more important than anything i mean there's a story that i touch on in the book um uh, about a trip that uh, the prime minister made to to Russia, to Moscow, in uh, in the beginning of two thousand and ten, um, and he and his wife, uh, it was I believe it was his wife's birthday, and they went out to uh, the uh, uh, Pushkin restaurant in Moscow, a very famous um, old restaurant with five stories, and. Um, I was sort of his, uh, at that time I was his bureau chief and, and as he said, I mean, he, he wanted me near no matter where he was, and no matter who he was meeting. And although that was a, it was a private, uh, evening, it was an intimate evening between him and his wife, um, as the prime minister, there has to be some staff with him. So I went and I, I took another staffer with me, we obviously sat at a, di- at a different table, um, <laughs> And uh, while he had his dinner, we, you know, we had a drink. And um, as we were getting ready to leave, I spotted on a different floor uh, the prime minister of Greece, uh, Papandreos. And this was roughly around the time that uh, Greece ran into their uh, financial crisis. Um, And half jokingly, I said to Prime Minister Netanyahu, you know, as the person who reformed Israel's economy, um, it may be worthwhile for you to... To, to give him some tips. So he asked that I invite Papandreos up for dessert. They had never met me, um, and I I did. Papandreos and his uh, foreign minister joined me, and we went up to Netanyahu's floor, and they spent the next hour and a half in conversation and struck up a friendship that changed uh, the nature of the relationship between Israel and Greece. I mean, it, it, obviously, with the change in attitude from Turkey, this became a very important, uh, right. you know, piece in the puzzle. There were some other events like the fire in the Carmel that Greece played a central role in, and all of this was a result of, you know, uh, a random, uh, you know, bump bump into a, at a Moscow restaurant, and that's not the only story. There's many such events that. Have taken place um i mean in in times that i was involved and in, and obviously always so quiet diplomacy and relationships are are always very critical
0: well and i know because i know you for your entire life pretty much that a lot of this for you comes from a very deep place of feeling a role in jewish history of feeling that you know this is what if god gave you certain gifts this is mm-hmm. what you have to use them for and you do
1: you know growing up in in our family, mm-hmm. um, first in Los Angeles and then, and then making Aliyah, um, and I don't want to start crying, but, um, yes. like that was, you know, that, that was the most important thing, um, or the most important ideal that was, uh, given to me and that, that I was, that I, that I was raised on, um, making Aliyah to the Shamron uh, during the time of, of the first intifada and, and serving Golani in Lebanon and, and in Shamron, um, just further strengthen those feelings. And once I finished my studies, there was nothing else that I could see myself doing um, other than uh, doing my part to strengthen the state of Israel and the people of Israel.
0: Mm-hmm. Which, while it sounds all full of glory and having drinks at the five-star restaurant in Moscow, I know comes with a very... A very high price to be paid, especially with the personal life. I mean, simply never being yeah. home. And you mentioned that in the book that there were yeah. months where you almost didn't see your kids at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, probably probably years more than mm-hmm. more than months. Um, you know, Netanyahu is a very uh, hard worker. Um, I personally found him someone that was relatively easy to work with. He's not somebody that gets angry and yells and screams. I mean, he's he's just very. Uh, you know, very committed to the job. And that means uh, working around the clock and even when you are at home being available. And uh, it was extremely taxing, both personally and physically for me uh, during those years, but uh, but I won't change it for anything.
0: So without necessarily getting into specifics, You and the staff around him are clearly people who are ideologically committed to Israel. There have to have been some times, for example, the Bar-Ilan speech that kind of alluded to a Palestinian state, that on Mm. the one hand, you've got loyalty to your boss. On the other hand, you have your own personal feelings as well. Right. What do you do with that when you are in, you know, that kind of uh, a milieu?
1: So I, I learned an important lesson when I was with the prime minister. Um, And that is that sometimes and, you know, I don't mean to be quoting Archer on here, but, uh, but you know, what you you do it one time, exactly. You know, what you see from here is not necessarily what you see from there. Um, There are considerations and calculations that the public, first and foremost, is not privy to. And, And secondly, you know, we live in an era where we're inundated with information and media and and you're caught up in that issue so i mean taking the Barilan speech um you know as an example that was the debate should he or should he not be doing you know giving the speech should he or should he not be saying what he said and ultimately um definitely with certain prime ministers there's you know much broader Strategic goals in mind that need to be taken into consideration, and that you can't necessarily explain uh, minute to minute. And I think that um, lots of times that comes into play, and you have to sort of um, internalize that and 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 allow it to um, you know to, to sink in. You may not always love it, um, but you know sometimes that's just what what you need to do. Um, in in a position of leadership, I, I can give you one example. Uh, it was during that first term with um, with President Obama, where uh, and I write about this in the book, where President Obama said to Prime Minister Netanyahu in the White House, "Not one brick, um, meaning no building in Yudavishamron, uh, Jewish building.
0: Jewish building, no Jewish building, yeah.
1: right, right." Mm. And um, ultimately, uh, an agreement was reached between. The israeli government and the us government where there was going to be a freeze a building freeze i believe it was for seven months and the prime minister invited uh to the to the prime minister's office the the heads of uh yesha the mayors uh from judea and samaria and um and of course as you know, the, the token settler uh, in the office, he had me sitting next to him um, to kosher uh, the move. And as difficult as it was for me um, to, you know, to support that type of decision, I I had a deep understanding of where the prime minister was going with it and what his ultimate goals were. And I was able to convey to the, to the heads of Yesha that, you know, if there was, uh, I don't know, if it rained for seven months, and you mm-hmm. couldn't build, would that be the end of, you know, settlement enterprise? And mm-hmm. the answer would be no. So, okay, so seven months is seven months, and we'll get past it. And, you know, and we'll make up for it. But uh, sometimes there are larger strategic goals that that can't be discussed publicly.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's important that you say that because everybody wants to know everything. And what I've been trying to explain to you is I'm okay not knowing everything because anything I know, Hamas knows. Like who we ca- the we're, the- <laughs> If it's public, it's public. And sometimes I think we forget that. And since it seems that especially now, they are very, very into the Israeli public, especially Sinwar has spent his life studying Israeli reactions because they are manipulating us. There's a lot of psychological warfare, especially around the hostages, which is a heartbreaking topic in and of itself, because maybe to save hostages, you're going to end up sacrificing soldiers. So there's no, actually, there's no doubt about it that you're going to do that. So, you know, I think it's important that you say that, that so coming from the inside. It's not like you want to be secretive, but for the greater good, not everything can be talked about.
1: There's a built in, I completely agree with you, Eve. Um, there's a built in uh, difficulty when, especially when you talk about battle uh, or war between um, a democracy and a terrorist entity. We try to play by certain rules, including free speech and free press, where information is shared. And they do the exact opposite. They will use those rules, and they will use our openness against us. And they do. Um, and it's it's again a very um, difficult balance to strike that uh, the leadership, the IDF, has to has to play. Uh, In order to keep us informed and make sure that we can continue to support the leadership in, in what we're doing, while at the same time remembering that, as you said, every single television program, every tweet, every viral video that gets out there the hamas is seeing and not only are they studying it and learning from it they're manipulating us as you said um mm-hmm. in their own ways and and they and they push their own messaging into the israeli public through uh very um you know very treacherous ways as well so um yes i i completely agree with what you're saying it's not uh it, it you, you want to know everything, um, but it's it's definitely not in the interests of Israel or in the interests, uh, interests of, of the Western world.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I know what I'm suffering from, and I think what many Israelis are suffering from is within that, we have to have trust in our leadership. Like, I don't know what's going on, but they do, and they're going to put it all together. And that's part of the blowback of October 7th for many of us is how did that happen? and Who can we trust now? Because there were some major failings that led to that day.
1: No question. Um, I think that uh, there's not a person in Israel who was not um, extremely scarred by what happened on October 7th um, in more ways than one. And definitely when you look at the leadership um, from wall to wall, uh, just thinking to yourself that they failed us. Um, and and they did. Um, I think that the silver lining since October seventh is the uh, is the people of Israel is the the volunteerism that we're seeing, the giving, the um, you know the one hundred and fifty percent turnout to a reserve duty, including your your children, um, and, and just the tremendous and deep desire for unity that you feel in the country. And I think that we're, we're currently benefiting from the fact that that feeling has sort of um, rose to the top in the sense that while we still have our uh, reservations about the leadership, and uh, I'm trying to be diplomatic in, in, in those words, um, we, we understand that everybody from the leadership all the way down, shares the common goals of bringing home the hostages, of destroying the Hamas once and for all, and making sure that that type of um, threat to Israel never returns from our southern and hopefully northern border as well.
0: Yeah, I mean you talk about the tremendous unity and your book brought me right back to the year 2014 when the three boys were kidnapped and how everybody was just focused for 18 days, even though it turns out that they had been killed at the very beginning, um you know like you'd meet someone in the street did you hear anything did you hear anything like that was all we could think about and i mean it's unfortunate that it's uh, that it's attacks and it's tragedies that bring us together but um yeah what's happening here in israel and i'm running a solidarity mission next week so people can get just a little bit of a glimpse of the greatness of the people here and the bravery of the soldiers which is i, I don't know if it's unpar- you know i think it's unparalleled yes. but yeah. Right. Just uh, completely. Wow.
1: Completely. I, I really feel like we're we're living in possibly and, and and it's amazing to say this after the tragedy of October seventh, but maybe in the greatest period in in Israel's history, just the unity from right to left, from Haredi to mm-hmm. to the merits and and the togetherness of and and the self sacrifice of our soldiers and and policemen is just is just incredible. Um. You know, I, I've said for quite some time that uh, if it wasn't for two groups in Israel, we'd be in a a much, we'd see this more often. And that's unfortunately the politicians and and the media. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that we deserve politicians that embrace these feelings that you and I are talking about. And we need a media mm-hmm. that's not going to encourage the divide, but rather right. try and mend the differences. You know, I, I said to uh, a mutual friend of ours who uh, who lost his uh, son uh, not too long ago as part of, in, in this war, uh, Yechiel right. um who that and and it's something that he has um, embraced and, and promoted since yeah. since losing his son Moshe, and that mm-hmm. is that eighty percent of israelis pretty much agree on about 80 percent of the issues um we're living in an era where you know there's no more socialist camp and you know capitalistic mm-hmm. camp and there's you know there's there's no there's no real debate on should we be creating a palestinian state in judean samaria today um there's no there's no uh, argument over the th- you know dealing with the threat of iran and its nuclear ambitions um and there's no uh, th- and there's no debate over whether or not we should be expanding the circle of peace to other muslim countries as we did with the abraham accords um you know it's it's almost funny to see you know the the, the most um right wing uh, settler from you know, some yeshuv, someplace and the 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 most left wing um, merits activists from Tel Aviv, pretty much agreeing on these things. Mm-hmm. And if we, can, uh, if we can, if we can, if we can avoid the noise that these groups try and promote in order to differentiate themselves from their competition, uh, then maybe we can retain this type of unity, which is so needed and so blessed.
0: Mm-hmm. So when we talk about your book for the 2014, talking about Hamas, talking about a, a a tragedy that propels us into a war which we didn't finish. I mean, we did not get rid of Hamas in 2014, and they seem to have gotten so much stronger in the interim. And the tunnel networks that are being uncovered, and the phenomenal amounts of money that have been poured in, which of course hasn't helped anybody except for the terrorists line their pockets. So you know, a decade, nearly a decade later, and we are. Uh, unfortunately, you know, being harmed by not taking care of it then, but from where we are today, as as you know, as opposed to two thousand and fourteen, was there a threat ever of going of a regional war? As it seems, at least for today, that it looks like you know the the Yemeni, you know, we got the Houthis who are pretty much making <laughs> passage in one of the most important. Uh, waterways impossible, and now there's a coalition going up against them. You have Hezbollah on the north here in Israel. You have Iran doing its mischief everywhere it possibly can. Was that the situation in 2014 where there was a fear of a greater war, the way we really seem to be on the verge of having now?
1: Um, it wasn't as prominent as it mm-hmm. is now. Um, but anytime Israel goes into battle, uh, not only does that fear exist, uh, but contingencies are in place uh, in case something does happen. You know, the one commonality um, when you talk about what's happening today with the Houthis and Hezbollah okay. and, you know, so on and so forth, is Iran. Um, Iran funds all of these groups. Hamas, and, and I say fund, but it goes well beyond that. They, they arm them, they train them, uh, they coordinate with them. So when you talk about the Houthis, you talk about Hamas in the south, you talk about Hezbollah in the north. Syria, there's been numerous attacks over the last few months emanating from Syria. That is Iranian-based. There's been attacks from Iraq, whether it's on American uh, interests or Israeli interests. Those are coming from Iranian proxies. Iran is the, the head of the snake um, that is poking Israel and ultimately has a desire to, to destroy Uh, the state of israel these aren't my words these are their words um for many many years the world has adopted uh, a stance that um sort of accepts the fact that um that uh this is just rhetoric um and iran is a country just like all others and they're not actually going to use uh, their nuclear capabilities if they reach it uh, against the state of Israel. I think October 7th um, has proven that wrong. These are fanatical religious extremists that are willing to sacrifice their people, um, their 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 cities, their states, their future, everything, if it means destroying um, what they call the little Satan. And uh, this was true in 2014. Uh, but we were able to contain it um, in, in dealing just with the terror tunnels and, and a, a limited um, uh, war in Gaza. Uh, but ultimately, what we see today is a reality that Israel's faced for, for a long time. And Israel's spoken out uh, about for, for quite some time. Um, and, uh, you know, whether or not the world recognizes that and is able to internalize it remains to be seen.
0: This is not just Israel's problem, but we did have prime ministers, notably Menachem Begin in 1981, who took out the nuclear, whatever that was, in osirak and even Ehud Olmer, who is way down on my list of, of people that I would want to have a cup of coffee with. Even he was able to, you know, to strike at Syria. Um, yeah. and And it, of course, begs the question, in the past nine years, could there have been a chance, instead of kicking the can down the road, could there have been a chance for us to maybe minimize the impact that Iran is now having today.
1: Right, so I think that the underlying um, theme in in my book is really Iran. Um, as we've talked about, I, I speak about the kidnapping of three boys, the war in Gaza, the relationship with the US, um, but the underlying evil through all of that is Iran. Um, Iran has been uh, at the forefront of Netanyahu's concerns for for decades. Yeah. Um, he um to his credit um had brought Iran to uh the forefront of the international uh stage. Um, and any debate and any action that has taken place by the international community over the last one years is is really a direct result of Netanyahu's um, prodding and and obsession uh with this issue. Um should israel have done some? you know should israel have uh, uh taken action um i guess history uh will will be the judge of that ultimately um i don't know exactly what i'm allowed to share so i'll be cautious with uh, with what i say but um you know the the idea of israel acting is not um is not fiction um i think that uh you know, Israel, with any threat anywhere, um, uh, does plan, does put pieces in place to protect itself and act when needed. Um, should we have done something before uh, October seventh, twenty three? Only, uh, only history will tell.
0: Mm-hmm. It's strange being in the part of the time where that historians will be delving into. Um, like, you know, we're writing it now. And I mean, I guess anybody is at any point in time, but it just seems like there are some very, very, very big things brewing, not just for Israel, but for a lot of people around the world. And um, it's, I, it's- I couldn't agree more. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, you know, for, for years when, when I would speak to uh, visiting delegations from, from the US and elsewhere um, and got into the Iran issue, I would always start off my speech by saying, let's assume just for a minute that Iran acquired nuclear weapons, they dropped it on Israel, we're gone. Mm. They were wiped yes. off the map. And now let's talk about Iran.
0: Right.
1: Now let's talk about Iran. How do you feel? What, what should be done? And when because as we see today with the um just prejudice and hypocrisy and animosity that's built into the international community towards Israel and unfortunately towards Jews, um, they're blinded by by this hatred towards us um, to the point where um, where they're jeopardizing their own future by allowing an evil regime, an evil empire to acquire nuclear weapons. And uh, I, I just fa- always found it as a useful tool to say, okay, we're gone. So your hate can be uh, channeled elsewhere. How do you want to deal with Iran? It is, uh, it's, it's a historic uh, moment that we're, that we're living in, not just for Israel, but for the world. This is coming to a head. Um, and let's just hope and pray that um, us being the light, to the nations is not just in our morality and our help towards countries around the world, but in helping define, helping them see what true good is and what true evil is and and dealing with it.
0: And whose side they should be on. I mean, I don't laugh too much these days, but one sign that always gets me going is queers for Palestine. Really? (laughs) Really? Right,
1: right, right. Right.
0: Wow. Just show your ignorance in three words. Just, a, right. just an, an amazing thing. So Ari, when does the book come out? And uh, where can people get it? Would you be available for book tours? Because I think that, um, and I think that people are got that from, from this interview, that, you know, we know the big ticket events. We know there was a war in 2014. There's another one in 2016. But the decisions that were made, the the small things that turned into really big things that kind of you know snowballed into this and into that into where we are today I don't think too many people know and definitely not from your perspective which was about as close to the plate as anybody you know could have been and obviously you can't share everything in the book and so I'm sure there's some things that you're never going to be able to share but as uh you know as much as possible to really understand how how we got to where we are now so so what's uh, so what's the story with the story?
1: Yeah, so um, you're you're 100 correct. It really, it, it, like you said at the at the beginning of this, um, when I wrote this, you know, a year and a half ago, I had, you know, could not have dreamt up the nightmare of October seventh and where it would lead us. And uh, looking at 2014 um, uh, through the lens that I uh, that I share in the book uh, really gives you a deep understanding and a perspective of the decision making within the prime minister's office, the prime minister himself, and a lot of the intimate conversations that we had uh, around dilemmas that are very similar today, whether it's hostages or, you know, dealing with Hamas or how to deal with pressure from the United States and elsewhere. And uh, I think it's uh, more relevant than ever. um, And it's still the
0: same prime minister.
1: And it's still the same prime minister and some of the same some of the same players as well that were involved Mm -hmm. in 2014 are sitting around the table there today um so the name of the book is my brother's keeper netanyahu obama in the year of terror and conflict that changed the middle east forever um and you can find it on amazon uh barnes and noble um and pretty much um any large um uh, book selling website And I am available for events. I'm going to be doing events in the United States. Um, uh, Initially, the first half of February, a few events lined up. Uh, I'll be doing events in Israel as well. Um, And I would love to connect with uh, anyone who uh, is interested in hearing more. How
0: do they get in touch with you?
1: Um... That's a good question. Um, I guess <laughs> the, the easiest would be my uh, email, uh, Ariharrow at gmail.com.
0: Okay, Harrow
1: w- with Harrow with one,
0: one R. Yes, <laughs> that's the family joke.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Okay. All right. Yeah. Terrific. So yeah, it turns out that um, your book was really wow. I mean, I know you it had got held up because it had to go through the censor and all kinds of other things, and it tur- it turns out you know. And it happens in all our lives. We get frustrated and you think, oh, like I'm waiting and I'm waiting, waiting. And then it turns out that there was a reason that something was delayed that you could not have imagined. And here you are really laying out in in such a, a fascinating way, a lot of the events that we're living through today. Yeah, absolutely. So true. Absolutely. Thank you. Wish it could be different, but uh, at the moment it isn't. Hopefully the ending will be amazing. Okay. Or not the ending, but the, you know, the ending of this particular chapter in our history will um too many tears are being shed and it would be nice if if the price that we pay for living in this incredible country was uh, a little bit you know less than than it is
1: yeah i i i I completely agree and i i do feel though that with all the, the pain and tears that that we all feel on a daily basis i mean it's it's heartbreaking. Um, every soldier that's killed, every, every life that's lost, um, you know the, the challenges that every single home in Israel is facing. But at the same time, there's a tremendous, tremendous pride um, living in this era after thousands of years where Jews couldn't defend themselves, you know, when you look at, uh, past pogroms and, 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 and holocausts and inquisitions, and the fact that we, um, you know, we've recovered and we, we've, uh, we've, uh, we've, we've just turned, turned the page and, and, and took the fight to the enemy and seeing the beauty of the people of Israel and, and the togetherness that we spoke about is, is just really awe-inspiring. And, mm-hmm. um, and while it's a time of you know, tremendous tragedy and and heartache, um, it's also a time of pride and and uh, just patriotism
0: and potential and yeah. potential to really finally make the world a better place. We just want to be left alone to do that. But when we have to fight, we know how to do that as well. And that's not something that we were privileged to do for a long, long time. And uh, basically, like, don't mess with the Jews anymore. Okay, we can be the best friend you ever had. And we can also be your nightmare, okay? If you mess with us and you hurt our children. And that is the bottom line. So Ari, thank you so much. Ari Harrow and his new book, My Brother's Keeper. Eve Harrow, his very, very, very proud aunt. Um, and very honored to uh to have spoken with you today thanks to ben and to tabitha for for putting out the show for all of you for listening you can always be in touch with me and of course be in touch with ari and i hope wherever you are you are safe and you have some moral clarity because that's uh that's part of where we need to go eve harrow rejuvenation on the land of israel network take care everybody and goodbye for now